Hey, what's good, everyone? Thank you again for tuning in to the second episode of our podcast, formerly The Void Podcast, now Left in the Void. The reason for the name change was that there are just simply too many The Void podcasts in the world. And as much as we like to support solidarity and unity, we did kind of want to stand out a little bit more. So we have officially changed the name to Left in the Void, uh, which I, I like a lot. And Aiden and Brian also seem to like as much as I do. So, welcome to the new name. Uh, So this week, we had a few things planned, but the week kind of got away from us, and we decided to take some notes from uh, some friends and other people who have listened to the podcast who said that they really enjoyed the first episode, but they weren't quite sure what we really believed. And I know I had mentioned some of our political beliefs um, in the beginning, but we didn't really go into what that means. So this is kind of a freeform episode of us discussing what it means to us to be socialists and anarcho-syndicalists. So, without further ado, here's the show. (laughs) Where was the Prop 65 warning? Oh, hey, question for you guys, California boys. Um, What the fuck is Prop 22? I got some questions about that. I was like, I don't know, I live in Rhode Island. Talking about Prop 22 and gig sharing? Is that what that is? Oh, that's the Uber one, huh? Yeah. Yeah, Uber's paying lots of money to try and get people to... um, to allow their their drivers to be uh be independent contractors again because i think last cycle two years ago i think a prop went through that made anybody who works a certain amount of hours can't be considered an independent contractor so a lot of uber drivers work like 40 hours a week at least so um so you know they have to give these people benefits now and, and stuff and um and so they can't they can't be considered independent contractors so you know uber can't take as much advantage of their drivers anymore yeah just just the idea this is what gets me the fact that someone works for you for like let's say 30 to 40 hours a week and makes you a shit ton of money is not deemed an employee by you what <laughs> <laughs> yeah we're just gonna call them an independent contractor which i guess technically they are but then just like refuse to give them any benefits or adequate pay because they're an independent contractor and they're not technically employed by us even though they have our brand name and make us money and promote us as a business it's just wild you are an employee you are but they're just telling you you aren't so they can fuck you over well i mean there is a place for independent contractors where like say we needed someone to edit this podcast we're not gonna have 40 hours a week for that person every single time we need that done it might be oh for sure you know between two and six hours of work per episode so you you hire that person for that base amount of time that's what an independent contractor is not not what uber and lyft do just exploitation i mean it's a great business model it's like hey uh i want to start a taxi company but i want none of the responsibility of the vehicles nor do i want (laughs) anybody to be deemed an employee like a taxi company would do so Mm -hmm. you'll just use your own car the wear and tear on the car is no longer my burden. I'll give you shit wages, and then it's profit. That's all it is. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. No benefits, no nothing. No, I was, I was just going to say, in most states, if you drive your car for your job, where you're employed, mm-hmm. you log every mile, and you get paid back on your check, like 50 cents a mile. But if you're an independent contractor, you get that deducted from your taxes. 
where since most people who do that anyway aren't meeting the requirement to go over like the ba- like the basic uh, tax deduction, it doesn't actually help them much. Mm-hmm. So like they weren't going to get taxed that much to begin with because they're not making that much. There's no one driving Uber that's making like sixty grand a year. If they are, they're they're doing way too many hours to be anything other than an Uber driver. And under our current law, drivers can still be independent contractors, but they just if they work a certain amount per week then they get benefits and stuff the company has to provide them with benefits if they only work a certain amount a week then the company doesn't have to provide them benefits because the main argument for like the argument that uber and lyft are putting out is that it's freedom for for drivers to have flexible schedules and whatnot but like that doesn't go away that hasn't gone away the drivers all still have flexible schedules it's just that if you're a driver and you work a whole bunch, which a lot of Uber drivers do, and mm-hmm. you know, not just Uber, but all the rideshare companies, a lot of these drivers do, and now the company has to provide those drivers with certain base benefits and you know, just the legal minimums. Sounds fair to me. Absolutely. They're really pushing it hard, though. I think they're losing a lot of money on that. You know, I, I drove for Lyft for a while right before COVID. And I just want to say that if you take a lift and you don't tip your driver, fuck you hard. Absolutely. Fuck you so hard. Because like nine times out of ten, you're a drunk, annoying person. Oh, just yeah. throw that guy two bucks. Like you tipped your bartender. You tip your waiter when you go out to eat. Why wouldn't you tip the person who drove you home mm-hmm. safely? Yeah, I don't get it. It's like I'll go to the bar and I'll tip the bartender tons of money, but the guy who helped me not get a DUI, I'm gonna be like, "Fuck you, bro. <laughs> You're not getting any of my money." Yeah. Even though you just potentially save me thousands of dollars in legal fees. Yeah. Uh, or I think, not to mention your life or someone else's. Like. <laughs> yeah, it's not as much a, a a cultural norm for us to tip. Um, I guess we do tip drivers in general. But it's not like it's not as expected as tipping your bartender or your um, but with, you know, because taxis, taxi drivers used to get paid decent wages. They had unions right. and stuff. Right. But now that rideshare driving is a thing and the reason tipping exists is because we don't pay the people who we tip enough money to live on just their wage. So now that rideshare drivers need tips to survive, now tipping is more necessary. You know, that's actually a classic example of what some Marxists talk about, which is that technology is supposed to alleviate the worker, not Mm -hmm. create more work for them. So as rideshare became a thing that should have what it should have done was added supplemental income or like freed up a a worker or a, a consumer, someone who needed a ride to have more options. But what it really did was undercut the taxi drivers, destroy their union and make everyone the average wage just kind of go down for everybody mm-hmm. it didn't the, the technology didn't benefit the worker it it damaged the worker now now you're if you drive lyft you are so like they can kick you off the app like that for no reason it can just happen and in a second your income is gone everything is gone that's another benefit to be con- being considered an employee you know, yeah. they can't fire you for no reason at any at any point. They have to have legal reason to fire you. You get sold the idea that you have a certain amount of freedom and flexibility, but what you're really getting is the short end of the stick. Mm-hmm. And I'm not, I'm not mad at rideshare people or food delivery people who work for like for these apps. You know, 
But it's not just Lyft and Uber. It's also DoorDash, and it's also Uber Eats again, exploiting these people. So I just looked at uh, how much Uber was worth in 2019. Uh-huh. Roughly $120 billion. Uh-huh. You guys don't have money to give people benefits in a decent wage? Are you kidding me? Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. $120 billion. That's, yeah. That's insane. Insane. That's, there's no motive for them to, to give benefits. They don't have to. I mean, why and would no you? Companies going, <laughs> you know, the way that our system's set up, you have to make money. Like, you'll do anything you can to make profits wider. Which is also counts consuming people's lives. Consuming humans, like mm. consuming the livelihood of others so that you can keep growing your numbers, your bottom line. Yeah. And then reselling that number to back to those same people like, look, we're providing jobs. We're helping you. It's that classic bullshit argument where they're like, see, your slice of the pie gets bigger. Maybe my slice of the pie is bigger. But as long as the pie is growing, we all get bigger slices. Mm-hmm. Fuck you. But it's a pie filled with piss. It's a pie filled with <laughs> piss, and I don't want it. See, it used to be a cherry pie, but you guys have been slipping worms in there, and now it's just rotten. I don't even want the slice you've been giving me. Can't pay rent with a slice of pie. What a stupid metaphor. I'm allergic to this piss pie, and I want my money, and I want it now. <laughs> but that was that is like the general idea, though, behind the way that capitalism is supposed to work is like, hey, we all get a slice of the pie so long as we're making money collectively. The pie is getting bigger. Your slice gets bigger. You get more. We get more society gains. But it just hasn't been that way ever. Yeah, that's the selling point. But it's not the actual, you know, it's not the outcome. Because that's the selling point for socialism, too, is everybody takes a share of of the, uh, you know. The collective gains of society. Exactly. The collective gains of society pay out to the people who are part of it. That. That, okay, so let's jump into the socialism conversation because I actually kind of want to hear your opinions on it. Mm-hmm. I'm game. What are the like? What are the core tenets of why? And this is mostly for Aiden because Aiden, you identify as a socialist, not necessarily to leave Brian out. I'm sure you have opinions on it, and you still identify with these things, and you want these things. But what are the core tenets that drove you to being a socialist? Like, what what are the things that you want that you thought socialism could provide? Uh, mostly working having worked for people who are making tons of money off of my, you know, labor and my coworkers labor. It's like the amount of profit that we're making, like I'm not seeing any benefit from that. All I'm doing is making you a bunch of money and every job I've worked at has been like that. So I guess sort of as I became familiar just slowly with the idea that my labor is worth, you know, as much as I improve whatever, you know, like they provide the cap, like employers provide the capital to get materials. And then all us employees turn that materials into something that they can sell for a higher profit. But then right. I don't see any of that. No, they pocket the difference. And then Reagan, Reaganomics tricks you into thinking that um, somehow it drips out of their pocket back into yours, which is like, why do we even need it to go in their pocket in the first place? Why doesn't it just go into the general public good? Why does it, why do we even have to pretend? It doesn't. There's no incentive for them to the trickle down thing. There's no incentive for the money to come back down the ladder. Like that's why the economy gets better the more we tax the rich because it puts money into the things that society needs. I mean, and these companies are incentivized to pay you less. Like you're you're going to buy 
Like, let's say you are going to make t-shirts. The cotton and stuff you're going to buy is always going to be around the same price, right? You can only sell that t-shirt for roughly the same amount. The less you pay your employees, the more profit you are going to make. So you're, you're de-incentivized to pay them well because your product of what you're getting originally and then what you're outputting is going to be roughly the same price no matter what. Like, you're making Hanes t-shirts. There's no incentive to pay your employee more because you're losing money at that point. Right. Pay them less. That's, that's the whole idea behind it. If the materials are a fixed price, what's the one variable you control? Yeah, the, the pay of your employees. The labor. And mm-hmm. if that labor isn't unionized, you have even more control over it. Because mm-hmm. ultimately, like when you go into a job interview, as an individual, that's like the one time you really have bargaining power over your pay if you're not in a union. Like you go in and you're like, hey, I think I deserve an extra $2 an hour. And you know, if they give it to you after they've hired you, there is not really any incentive for them to keep upping your wage because they've already got you locked in. They're already paying you, you know, seventeen dollars an hour or thirteen dollars an hour. Why should they pay you more? Right, you're not going to quit. You need that job to live. Exactly. Yeah, you know, you're stuck there. Well, and the thing is, is to, once you're in the company, and when you need to justify to management why you deserve more money, you're not in competition with the company to prove your value. You're in competition with your coworkers to prove you're more valuable than them. Mm-hmm. So again, it's pitting you versus everyone else when it should be always, always, always coming from them. You shouldn't and have that, to look to someone and say, and I'm better than time, them. Every time I've asked for uh, more money from any of my employers, that every single time they've, they've said, well, you know, there's a lot more people uh, in line for a promotion, mm-hmm. right, than you are. Mm-hmm. And that's... Like, sure, I get that you haven't promoted many people who very much deserve more money, but that doesn't have anything to do. Like, you should be paying all of us. We collectively deserve more money. Yeah. No one. Did, we so they're like, why is it a line? Why is there a line to 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 get paid what you're worth? Why is it not everyone on the same level and being elevated at the same time? Mm-hmm. Even if the guy who has been there longer gets paid more than me, fine. But like, but also you should be paying him more. Like. Go give him his raise and then give me my raise. You should all, yeah. Ah, it's so frustrating because then there's the idea. They have that enough I... money to pay. They, they have enough money to pay both of us a fucking dollar more an hour. Right. The last place I worked, I saw my boss's house. It's a fucking mansion out in the fucking hills. Oh, yeah. No, you know who I used to work for who shall remain unnamed at this time unless you want to personally ask me and I'll totally blow this person up. <laughs> was yeah, paying me a certain amount of money and it was my only option for income they have a large house a very nice large house and i saw the numbers as to what the company was pulling in i know how much of that income came from me working and my coworkers because i was there and i know what we did every day that contributed and i know what the overhead was too because they were all in the numbers i knew what they were taking home and i didn't ask for more money I asked to be paid on time. I asked to be paid on time for the hours that I worked. And they had the audacity in this giant house to say, I'm not made of money. You know that, right? I was like, you're fucking kidding me. I'm going to throw a human turd in your fucking face, you limousine liberal. This person is like a huge, was a huge like Hillary Clinton supporter like proposed being a feminist, like all of these progressive views. But as soon as it came down to brass tacks, of like treating me with any semblance of respect, I had to be rem- I had to be reminded that, hey, they worked really hard for what they had. And like, 
I'm kind of pushing on them a bit just by, by asking to be paid what I worked and on time. Fuck those people. I've always liked the idea of like, I worked really hard to get here. It's like you worked really hard for a short while till you got to the point where you could just continually exploit people to make more money. And then you've just been basically hanging out. And I know who you're talking about. And I know that person does <laughs> like absolute minimal work on that business. That person does nothing. That person is an example of a million people just like them. Mm -hmm. Like they don't actually work. And when they say they work hard, that's a subjective term as to how hard they worked. Maybe they worked hard in their reality, but I know for a fact they had a larger leg up in life than anyone who worked for them did. So they worked hard within the context of their life. And to hold me to that same standard is bullshit because you never took the time to understand how hard I was working for you. And I wasn't even demanding more money. I was just demanding you pay me what I worked. It's, <laughs> I, it's, it's, insane. it's insane to me that I have to fight for that basic baseline amount of respect. Those are the kinds of things that made me start to question, not just question, but obviously become incredibly angry with the way that things are. That's crap. Yeah. Not to, sorry, not to get super heated, but it, like, you know, that's, that's my livelihood. That's how I pay rent. That's how I pay back my stupid college loans and to be degraded. You can't be not paying people on time. When it comes to your loans, just call them and be like, hey guys, I'm not made out of money here. And just use that same argument and just throw it right back at him. Uh -huh. Yeah. That'll I'm sure work. That'll keep me out of the poorhouse <laughs> that I also rent to. <laughs> They're basically landlords for your labor. They are. Well, those people are the same thing. They reap profit off of you existing. You go out into the world and you create the income for them to then sap out of you so that they can get together on Saturday night in a restaurant that you can't afford to eat at to talk about how annoying you are for asking for a, a basic amount of, of equality. They belong to like elitist groups and they all cycle in the same spaces. They all blow smoke up each other's ass and they make us feel guilty for wanting more. And they really think they're doing a good thing too. They really oh, think yeah, they're yeah. Like creating jobs and they think they're helping their employees. Well, they still subscribe to the, the dumb bootstrap idea of like American values. Like, hey, you pull yourself up by your bootstraps. My bootstraps are broken. If you pay me more, I could afford some bootstraps, but I can't. <laughs> you don't enable me to do anything for myself. Mm -hmm. And I would even consider myself relatively privileged in the amount of money that I make now, or even I made during that time. So when you're in that position, when you're doing better than a lot of other people, it goes back to the same argument that you are less likely to ask for more because in, in comparison to other people who are suffering, you're doing better. So like, why ask why? Why ask for more? Well, I want more for them too. It's not just for me. I want everyone to be on the same playing field. That, that was, that's the aspect of socialism that, I'm, that I appeal to. I want the complete abolition of the class system. Uh-huh. Well, that's, yeah, that's the big issue here. It's that you have a bunch of money you think you're creating fucking jobs, but you're just exploiting people. That's, you can't make money you, in this system without doing that. You, yeah, you literally can't make profit without exploiting people. Because mm -hmm. for you to make profit, those employees have to, you know, labor to make your materials worth more. Mm -hmm. And that's the value of the labor that they put in. So for you to make money, you have to pay them less than what their labor is worth. It's important to remember that the American dream only works if you're asleep. Because <laughs> that's why it's a dream. No, if mm -hmm. it, it only, yeah, 
It only works if uh, you if you can sleep because you've got a bunch of people making you passive income. You need 10 people to work full time so that you can do fuck all. You know, the, one of the things that bothers me the most about, so like the core tenets of the things I want in a socialism, socialism being healthcare is a right, access to clean water and, and healthy foods is a right, mm-hmm. housing is a right, all of these things. These are, and these are basic things. And it's not even, it, you can't even contest them because this has been done and these are rights in a lot of other countries. These things are happening now. But in this country, for some reason, people are still convinced that it's some kind of pipe dream to ask for health care. How are we going to do that? I don't know. Let me pick from the, the myriad of examples that we have. That's what's so frustrating is it's like you, it's like I asked you to build a bridge to Narnia with tax dollars. no. That's not what I'm asking. I'm asking for the same system they have in Sweden, Norway, Canada, even. Like, you don't even have to go that deep to see that it's already occurring. Why does everyone else have to suffer in the meantime? I'm losing patience for these people and their bad arguments. Because mm-hmm. every minute we take trying to convince them, other people are dying of preventable diseases or even just the example of, like, insulin. $6 to make, $300 to buy. Why? Why is that? I know why. You guys want to know about why insulin is so fucking goddamn expensive in this country? Capitalism is a short answer, but what's the what's the long one? The re- the reason why insulin has become so expensive is due to patent laws. So when you create insulin, right? Like you said, it's it's usually like six to ten dollars to make like a vial of insulin. So what they do is those patents are good for like a year, right? Mm-hmm. Of that specific molecule that you've created, you patented that. What you'll do is you'll just rotate one bond in that chemical or you add one new thing. And then now you can patent that new molecule for the next year and then sell it. But now it's a new and improved product. So you can raise the price. And that's been the model with insulin for fucking ever. So you just, you modify it just one minute little bit and then you can up the price. And you just keep doing that and you keep doing that. So we need to get rid of patent laws. Patent laws are bullshit anyway. Yeah. Um, a lot of European countries saw through that and were like, how about no? Yeah. <laughs> how about we just don't do that? So. Well, that's the same thing that keeps the United States so far behind in technology of patent laws. Yeah. But uh, they'll, they'll, they'll label it as innovation. <laughs> Nothing's changed. It does the same thing. It, mm-hmm. Insulin hasn't magically changed into something that's going to work so much better. It's insulin. Yeah. It does what it's supposed to do. We already figured it out. It doesn't make sense that three different places all working on the same thing are going to somehow be more efficient than three separate places working together to make something, you know? If the true drive of capitalism was that you create a product that is innovative, right? If people buy what you produce because it improves their lives, why would you why would you ever be scared so scared that you need to protect this idea with a patent to make sure no one else can come close to it. If your product is that good and someone else tried to rip you off, wouldn't the consumer know, right? If you were really that good at producing the thing that you're producing, anyone who tries to imitate it, it would automatically never be as good. So why in the hell do you need a patent? If you really truly believe that capitalism creates innovation, you don't need this, the, the state to protect your idea because you're individually good enough, right? You're so brilliant, you'll just keep doing it anyway. If someone comes out with something, you'll just do better because you're so entitled to that product. 
or that idea? I think theoretically you could say like that the patent sort of protects someone from someone with more money, like a big company, like somebody comes up with an idea, patents it, right? Now somebody with a billion dollars can't swoops in and just outproduce them or out R&D them, you know? They've got the idea locked down. But I don't think it, effectively it doesn't really work that way because our justice system sort of just goes to whoever has more money anyway. So they've got the amount of lawyers that they can just win any patent argument in a, in a court. Right. Well, if anything, then the patent then gives those giant companies a leg to stand on when someone who is much smaller than them does come up with something innovative and useful and different. They can then yeah. use that patent law to then destroy and or then absorb that person. It doesn't actually breed innovation. Mm -hmm. I agree. I think that's the big argument for patenting, though, is that like it's supposed to protect smaller producers, even though it doesn't. That, that to me, is really similar to the same thing as trying to convince us that milk is good for us. You know what I mean? It's just a longstanding thing that we've come to believe but isn't true. Like, the idea makes sense if you don't look into it too much, but as soon as you do, patent laws are just... Yeah. It makes sense in theory, but when you look at what's actually had, like, the effective outcome you know how it ends up affecting our society and it's not it doesn't protect small producers it just allows giant companies to make billions of dollars before anyone else can compete with them yeah and systematically destroy and dismantle anyone who tries yeah through the legal system. so it, now they've got so much money they can just buy out or completely um obliterate any competition that pops up. They've had seven years to uh, to get ahead, make billions of dollars. Well, in the meantime, other countries who don't have such stringent and stupidly useless patent laws, like China, get to just blow us away technologically. <laughs> they're, they're so far ahead of us because they don't have those kinds of laws. If you, were true, if you were like a true American patriot and you believed that we could and should be the best country in the world, why the hell are you holding us back with patent laws? Because you want to make more money. You don't actually really care about the country at large or any of the people in it. It's all about your pocketbook. Yeah, there was a time in the 50s when that wasn't the case. And there was a lot of uh, medical advancements that were really beneficial to the U.S. as a whole. Um, yeah, when the government was putting tons of money into, the, like the government was subsidizing research into that shit. That's when we have massive advancements in those fields. So, like, as an example, and it, and it ties into uh, patenting. So, polio, obviously something that's been really destructive uh, in human history. Very debilitating. Jonas, Dr. Jonas Salk is the one who invented the polio vaccine in 1955. And he refused to patent it, the vaccine. And he just distributed the information on how to create it, like, massively. So, everyone could just have it for free. And then mm -hmm. it could be mass produced. Doesn't that, didn't that leave it open for somebody else to patent it though? No. Why not? I don't know. I'm not up to date <laughs> yeah. on the legislation. I just know that he refused to patent it and just mass release the information on how to produce it. Because I imagine like somebody else who's not an altruist would have just grabbed a patent on it because he didn't patent it. Because you could patent something and then just not enforce your you know just let everyone know hey this is public domain now 
though maybe they i don't know i don't know the law inside out maybe it's uh maybe there's some sort of if you create something you can make it public domain well i think it was just along the lines of like hey polio is like just destroying the world this shouldn't be a monetary gain moment this should just be like a humanist moment and and everybody just jumped on board with that yeah and the vaccine was free across the country free like wasn't you weren't charged for it. you wanted the polio vaccine you got it because i mean like we've got we've got a massive uh got a massive pandemic going on right now and yeah. companies what are happened in 55 it. is not going to happen with the coronavirus i i can almost guarantee you no because like pfizer just got like two billion dollars to research a vaccine like you kidding me like they're not gonna they're not gonna give out that vaccine for free they're gonna charge you for it absolutely that's what I'm saying. So like, so what's different here is what I'm trying to get at. I don't know if we can answer that thoroughly enough to like give a discernible answer, right? No, maybe. I just want to theorize. <laughs> sure. Uh, increase in capital greed. Yeah. Like, was there more regulation in the fifties? More regulation in what terms? They were definitely getting taxed more. That's for sure. Corporate taxes were way higher. Income taxes were up in like the 90%. Um, effectively, they were like in the 50%, but on paper, they were in the 90%. But that always happens. That's why, it, like, you know, people gawk at a 90% tax rate, but there's so many loopholes that people who make, you know, billions of dollars, and even if they did pay 90%, they're making billions of dollars. Dude, like, if they paid 10%, it'd be a huge help. But Donald Trump paid $750. Mm-hmm. That's not even one percent. <laughs> like, boo! But he creates on. jobs. Boo! There we go again. Hardly, right? Fucking. What do you think, Justin? What drew you to the idea of socialism? Massive, massive suffering of average people who work incredibly hard and get nothing in return. Honestly, um, not having health care. I mean, that's really scary. Uh. It could bankrupt you. It could be the end of you mm-hmm. to get sick. That and and like I said earlier, because I, you have living examples of it working in other places. I never watched any Democrat or Republican. Democrat's supposed to be my closest ally, right? And I always voted in the Democratic Party and aligned myself with their politics naively, expecting something to change. And then when nothing is ever changing. You have to look deeper as to why that is true. Well, it's not necessarily just the politics. It's the system which in which the politics work within. It's capitalism as a whole. The whole system doesn't work. It's not designed to help you. Mm-hmm. And socialism is a critique of that directly. Directly is a critique of how capitalism works. And when you start to look at those critiques is that there are cycles built within the system that are always going to fail. And every time one of those failures happens, the real estate crisis in 2008 being an example, the wealth gap gets larger. And it happens all the time. Happened in the 80s with the gas, gas and OPEC. It's happening now with COVID. Capitalism is not built to help you. It's built to help capitalists only. And a capitalist being the person who owns the means of production. If you own a factory, if you have a patent on an app, if you... You know, you, you make shoes or you own a sandwich shop. If you own that stuff, it's there to help you. But if you make the shoes, you make the sandwiches, you drive for the people who own the app, 
you're screwed. And there's no guarantee that you're ever going to get ahead. And liberals and Democrats have failed me over and over and over again on so many fronts and have never delivered. Like, let's talk about the debate when Kamala Harris said, you know, let's be clear, Biden's not going to ban fracking. You yeah. fucking asshole. Like, you're not ever going to help me. Mm-hmm. Global warming and climate change is a huge issue. Who are you trying to convince? I don't, I don't even, like, even voters in fucking swing states are like, I don't know if this is true. Maybe they're playing to, like, some fringe group or maybe not fringe group. I don't know. Maybe people in Ohio love fracking. Or, you know, maybe people in Florida want more fracking and they're playing for that, but... They're wrong, and we're out of time. Yeah, I would say the people who are for fracking fundamentally probably don't understand the science behind what it is and how absolutely destructive it is for the environment and the effects it has on people's health, on the overall health of the environment, as well as the water supply and how just devastating it is. That, or they're capitalists and they're making lots of money off it. True, but I mean, like your average American isn't. Yeah, I just mean those are the two. Those are the yeah. two. There's people funding the support. Yeah, those for are the it. two sides, for and then sure. there's people who believe it. So, like for those of you, those of you that don't know about how toxic fracking is. So basically, what fracking is is you're going to drill down into the ground, and then you're going to basically start releasing a bunch of chemicals that break apart the ground, and then you release this natural gas. The thing is, though, is that that natural gas and those chemicals just seep into the water supply. And there's been a huge problem in the Midwest where people, when they turn their faucet on, they can quite literally put a lighter, like a Bic lighter, to mm. their faucet and light their water on fire. Mm-hmm. It's polluting the entire water supply. They can't drink their water. It's killing off cattle. It's killing off all of the animal ag. It's fucking toxic. But uh, Joe Biden doesn't want to ban fracking because... It's great for your health, it's great for your water, and it's great for you, and, you know. It's good for the economy. Yeah, it's, it's good, good It's going to keep us all employed. You know, all like all the people who work in coal. Yeah, and that's the thing. It's like fracking or coal, it's like, it's both shit. It's, it's both shit. One's cooked and one's raw, but you're still eating shit either way. Well, and those things are finite resources. They're going, they're going to go away. They're going to go away. Democrats and Republicans just kick the can down the road. Because they are not criticizing the system which we operate in. They're not criticizing capitalism. They're criticizing how we apply capitalism. Where like socialists and communists want the whole system to change. We can't keep infinitely consuming people and resources because it always comes off the back of average people. When climate change gets really, really bad, right? And people have to start fleeing coastal cities where famines start to occur or Hey, imagine that most of the West Coast is on fire and those people start to go other places. Who's going to catch the brunt of that? Those immigrants, those people, those people who need help. Is capitalism going to reach out and help them? These are the conversations that need to be, be had. But really what we're having is Donald Trump and, and his lackey and Biden and his lackey both arguing over who is or isn't going to ban fracking. Fuck you, that argument is old and had. It's, it's done. We don't even, isn't, it isn't about who's going to ban fracking. It's like, how are you going to lower carbon emissions? How are you going to keep the world from falling apart? Yeah, fracking is such like a, like we've been, it's bad. We know it. Why are we still arguing about it? 
It's a way to keep a dead industry alive. And the longer we keep it alive, the more the average person is hurt. It's, it's awful. And the people who, who criticize even just like progressivism in the Democratic Party. So actually, there's a quote I wanted to read, you, read to you guys about an article I read. It's, it, and it's from last year, April 3rd, uh, 2019. And it was written by a guy named Peter Winner. And so Peter Winner uh, contributes to The Atlantic, which is a magazine or a publication that I'm more or less respected for the kinds of people that would be contributing to it. So this guy is a senior fellow and VP of the Ethics and Public Policy Center, which is based in D.C., and it's a evangelical think tank. And this guy wrote an article called The Democratic Party is Radicalizing. Radicalizing. And he makes an argument in this, ar in this article that, that this is a bad thing. And just a little, little bit about this guy. He thinks reparations are bad. He's pro-ICE. He's against tax raising taxes on people who make more than $10 million. He's against Medicare for all. He thinks the Green New Deal is going to bankrupt everyone. Mm -hmm. He's generally a, a fucking asshole. And this is like the most qualified person that they could get at the Atlantic to criticize the progression of the Democratic Party. At the, at the end of his article, this is what he wrote. Oh, and another tidbit. He also, his first article that he wrote for The Atlantic was why I left the Republican Party. So he, he's, he's very anti-Trump. So I guess that's supposed to make me like him. Whereas like disliking Trump should be like neutral. Everyone should already be there. It should be the standing starting point. This isn't a moving us forward to have that opinion. Yeah. He, he ends his article by saying this. Progressivism is wrecking the Democratic Party, even as crude populism and ethnic nationalism have for now wrecked the Republican Party. Both are salvageable and both worth saving. So... In one breath, this guy says that progressivism is bad. Oh, and also, ethnic nationalism and crude populism is ruining the Republican Party. So he can admit that those things exist. And by the way, ethnic nationalism is just a really nice way to say white supremacy and fascism. Yeah. Ethnic nationalism. Ethnic Break that down. Nationalism. And these, so these are the people who are critiquing... Bernie Sanders, who's a democratic socialist, and even further left progressives like socialists, anarchists, and communists. This is the person that we're supposed to respect their opinion? You're being fed misleading bullshit. And that's that's the strategy. Like he, he puts those next to each other on purpose to make it seem like progressivism is equivalent to to white nationalism, to fucking nazism yeah yeah you're right he juxtaposed those things to, to put them in like as if they're one and the same if he truly believes that reparations for black people ice uh is a good thing for us um if he believes all of these things are going to take us down as a country but that the democratic party is susceptible to the ideas that will bring down the, uh, this country and will, is willing to admit that ethnic nationalism is in the republican party why are either of them worth saving why would you want to save them Eat shit. And, and, and go tell me that the person that I like is wrong. Why? You have to first admit that the two parties that you're trying to you're trying to save are garbage. And, you know, this is the big issue is that the Democrats and the Republicans, 
liberals and conservatives, they're all part of the same umbrella of political ideology. Neo-libs, they just want to sustain the system that does not work for us. And that's so frustrating. And it, I don't have any more patience for those arguments. It's it, Every day that we have this useless argument with people who are unwilling to move, people are suffering and dying. Life is not getting better for anyone when we give them a platform. Rant over. <laughs> You're getting the anarchy in me all fired up, dude. Talking about burning it all down. <laughs> it's all garbage. But yeah, it's just the problem is that these people are, are getting like their thoughts are are getting portrayed as sort of the norm. This is peak centrism. Like this is what's portrayed as I'm right in the middle when it's not, you know, this is just being right wing. This is just being a Republican, but you don't like Trump. So now you're voting Democrat. And, and let me, let me be clear too. When I'm being critical of liberals, I think that there are a lot of liberals who really want what, democratic socialists and socialists and even some communists want but they they're afraid to identify with the term because it's been demonized for so long and purposely misrepresented mm -hmm. like if you if you're honest with yourself and you start to think about the things that socialism tries to invoke and change and what it represents what it wants to do and then you look at what the liberals and the democrats have done can you really still identify as a liberal most of the time, probably not. Like, don't the people who are trying to convince you that these terms are wrong are the people like Peter, the evangelical asshole who's a homophobe and thinks that putting uh, kids in cages is a good thing. Mm -hmm. And mind you, Obama did that too. So there's another Democratic hero. You can't turn a blind eye to all of those things. How long are you going to do that? We need more. We need more radical change. Radical is not a bad word. In times like this, where the difference is extreme climate change, the treating immigrants like shit, refusing to liberate women or recognize trans people, any of these 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 minority groups. Yeah, but let's not forget the systematic like destroying of black communities by the police. Like these are not examples that are, like are just hiding under a rock. They're in your face. So how much longer do mm -hmm. we have to just wait for Joe Biden to, to pay attention to them? He's not ever going to. He or anyone else in his party. Mm -hmm. And if you're, if you're a part of the DSA caucus, if you're a member of the DSA, in the next, in the next caucus, vote to leave the Democratic Party. That's my opinion. Get the fuck out. You can be a part of the insurgency if you want, yeah. but I don't think we have time anymore for that. You don't have to agree with me. <laughs> it's just... I don't know. I don't know if if just because third parties are so not viable in our system, it's it's hard to say if they'll help the DSA or not. Yeah. Or help us for that matter. I just I mean, I would feel better about it if they weren't a part of the I don't know, man. Like this is this is what got me down the other night when I was just getting all doom and gloom it was like I do believe that we do need to start putting energy into trying to affect change on the local level and moving that direction. And, but how much time do we have to make those, the kinds of changes that need to occur? I'm not advocating like straight up direct action and revolution. Definitely not on a recorded podcast, 
But um, and especially because we don't have the support, I don't think that we would need to have that sort of thing. But um, but it's sort of like um, you know, the more it happens, the more momentum it gains. Kind of like in Rhode Island, where they did have like the fact that they had tons of progressive candidates and that people were energized and you know people like progressives were out so like as it, i think the more that it happens like the more progressive candidates we have the more progressive stuff we have on the ballot and everything the more momentum it'll gain and it'll i think it'll happen quickly you know i don't think it's i don't think it's completely hopeless but uh, you're right that we don't have a lot of time uh, with climate change. You're, yeah, okay. I, I mean, I, here's the thing. I'm trying to convince liberals and, and people who might identify as left but still somehow identify as liberal that you need to, you really need to, to look at things critically, like more critically than you have. You're not right just because you think and you know racism is bad. Cool. What the hell are we going to start doing about it? I mean, everybody thinks. Yeah, that. but then what's the difference between voting every four years and like actually going out and protesting to try to defund the police? Like, vast differences. So if you've made that step, like keep stepping in the right direction. Like, don't teeter and don't let other people tell you that, you know, you're going too far. There is no too far in a system that treats people this way, and not just in your neighborhood or your state, in your country, around the world. It's all interconnected. That's that's my call, I guess. You don't have to be as extreme as I am about these things, but you can't you can't sit in the middle anymore. You you need to be more aggressive and you need to be more outspoken. Want to give us the uh, the rundown on the anarcho syndicalist take, Brian? Oh, okay. Um, how do you what how do you feel about the issues? So ultimately. I find, and this kind of just aligns with anarchy as a whole, all of these things we've discussed are just hierarchical systems of oppression. Within these, no one is truly equal in any individual right. Mm -hmm. Like there's always going to be someone who has more power over you and then can then restrict your freedom and your basic human rights. Like if you want to go get, uh, let's say you, you want to get health insurance and you can't do it well now you're not equal in that sense because now you don't have the equal access to that medical care um especially it just yeah no i that's i think that's just like uh, i just i have a hard time agreeing with anything that creates a hierarchy in which a lot of people will be oppressed for one reason or another mm -hmm. and whatever way they justify it do you feel that socialism is still suffers from that problem yeah i i feel like it's, it's a great thing, and it's a step in the right direction. I mean, ultimately, anarcho-syndicalism is anarchy with social aspects. Yeah. but Kind of like a mix between the two, eh? Yeah. It's, it's basically a mix between the two. But ultimately, I have a really hard time subscribing to any kind of ideology that fundamentally doesn't allow someone to be who they are as an individual or free I think that's what really gets me with anarchy. Yeah. I mean, hierarchies are inherently, they create power gap. 
So that makes sense. And that's what I've understood anarchy to be. It's just simply that hierarchies, you know, a system without hierarchical structure. Yeah. So, I mean, there's, there's basically, there's a lot of, a lot of tenets on how anarcho-syndicalism works. You could essentially break them down to like three main categories. There's like direct action, which is going to be you participating within that. So like, let's say you live in a community with like 150 people. The direct action is going to be you within that 150 people community voting and coming together and having a consensus about how to deal with an issue within that you have you have equality and you have a voice it's more of like a direct democracy what democracy was originally intended to do mm -hmm. was to give you equality and to give you a voice and to give you a power even within the system we have now you don't have that you we live in a plutocracy and a plutocracy just being a country that's run by companies mm -hmm. and then you vote for somebody and then that person represents you and then once the let's say the ballots are cast and they're roughly equalized then you get the electoral college and they just vote however the fuck they feel. You have no voice in that. They can just flip their own opinion and they vote can. for somebody. They don't can. typically. I mean, I'm not going to argue for the uh, electoral college, but they Neither don't. Neither am I. But they have the option to, and there's nothing stopping them from doing that. They don't That's really true. speak for you. They can just vote a different way if they feel like it. That's a hierarchical oppression of what your views are, and it dilutes the power that you have. Mm-hmm. Which just fundamentally I got a problem with. Uh, so there, that's one aspect of it is just direct action. Uh, and then... So then what's the syndicalist part? That's just more of like your, uh, your socialism aspect of it. Like you were coming together as a society to work together for a greater good in whichever way you think is beneficial for you as people. Just talking about all these different... Uh facets of socialism and anarcho-syndicalism kind of just want to say obviously there are so many different interpretations and schools of thought the three of us are always growing and expanding on those ideas so don't take this as something set in stone it's just what we think and what we think is also always growing and specifically between you know anarcho-syndicalism and socialism the infighting isn't helpful because both of those schools of thought have been so demonized for so long, particularly in the United States, that it's more important that we have the conversation about what we under, like what we understand to be useful and, pro and progressive mm -hmm. and applicable than it is to be like, well, Brian thinks socialism's dumb, so fuck anarchy. No. Yeah. That's yeah, not. And that's the thing is like, I like socialism. Like, I'm a big fan of it. I just, I have certain issues with it, but that doesn't mean it's bad. Like, I everyone has certain issues with anything. Like, that doesn't mean that I think the entire system is terrible and should be abolished and stripped down and burned. That's not what I believe. I mean, it's beneficial. It's good. Mm -hmm. it's and also, good. like, I feel like a lot of people, like, I hadn't really heard of anarcho-syndicalism until a little while ago. So, I mean, people often just associate anarchy with, like, lawless chaos, where it is lawless. That is correct. <laughs> it's organized chaos. It's not like the, uh, the anarchy patch you'd see on the back of, like, a punk dude's vest, you know? And if we need anything, if we want to get anything done, we need a coalition. We stand higher on each other's shoulders than we would on each other's dead bodies. <laughs> like there's no, there's no point in cutting each other down when, when we can lift each other up. Cause all of our ideas are counter to establishment ideas. Mm -hmm. Socialists and anarchists have always had to work together. And every time they failed to do so, it's been detrimental to the common cause. Mm-hmm. 
So let's get rid of the capitalists first, and then we can fight about it. Yeah. <laughs> they always swoop in. As soon as we start fighting, they swoop in. Paris Commune, Spanish Civil War. I mean, got to work together. Every time we don't, we uh, don't achieve the things that we're setting out to do. Mm-hmm. And just like in those two instances, it's never been more important than now to work together. So that's my two-cent takeaway from the bastion of ideological artillery that we've been throwing into the microphone for the last hour plus. <laughs> Is there anything you guys wanted to add or anything you wanted to say before we sign off? Yeah, um, I'm doing Sober October for the rest of the month, so I'll be I'll be gassed up. <laughs> I'll, I'll be gassed up on coffee <laughs> and water, so I'll be good next time. Yeah, I don't know. I hope this I hope this episode was as interesting as the first one was. If you found the first one interesting, I actually do kind of want to shout out to the people that reached out to us on Instagram, not particularly by name because they didn't specify that they wanted to, but you know who you are. <laughs> you beautiful people, you know who you are. The awesome photography person who gave us yeah. uh, a lot of good feedback and and told us that we sounded uh you know, honestly, I'd never even heard that word before. <laughs> it, yeah, it was like knowledgeable and speaking in, in an academic and professor-like manner, which I, I take as a compliment, but also the whole point of this podcast when we were talking about these ideas is to make sure that the things that we're saying are, are digestible uh, and not overtly academic because it's not about being the smartest person in the room. It's about the solidarity of all of all people. And we want everyone to feel like they can join the conversation. So, I mean, I bought a book that I thought would be a great sort of way to look at socialism called hegemony and socialist strategy and then i started reading it and it was i don't think they could have made it more convoluted than it was written i think like yeah it was just like let's just find words that have at minimum 13 letters and that's going to be every single word in the sentence and just make it intensely confusing like you need a phd in socialism to fucking get through this book you have to have already read fucking every theorist's fucking ideas for any of it to, uh, you know, to translate the words that they're using into uh, into plain English, which is not helpful. No, you know? I mean, it's really hard to convince someone that you're of the same cloth of, as they are and be like, hey, we're all the same. But then speak in a language that is almost explicitly elitist and privileged, like, OK, you could afford to go to college. Impressive. I don't know what you're saying, but what you're saying is 100 percent about me. Like it should be more digestible. Because it's not about you. It's about everyone. Yeah. Whoop-de-doo, Basil, but what does it all mean? <laughs> if you if you prefer the Bernie Sanders catchphrase, not me, us. Mm-hmm. So. It's a good catchphrase. Or if you if you like mine, which is uh you know, it's not milk, it's pus. Not milk. That's gross. Uh-huh. And still true. <laughs> and applicable. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>